I know that, you know, these are tough times, um, but we really have to look at at the fact that these tobaccos are really harmful to our youth, especially in the early years. They can have overlasting consequences that will last throughout a lifetime. And um, so it's, it's very important that we take action and I'm very, very um, much in support of this. So thank you again, Council Member Price. to the show, folks. You're listening to KLBP Long Beach Public Radio. My name is Kevin Flores, editor at Forth.org, and this is City Council Meeting Notes, bringing you a recap of what went down at the Long Beach City Council meeting each week. We'll talk about the decisions, the stakes, and the occasional drama. The city on Tuesday unveiled its strategic plan for youth and emerging adults, a blueprint to improve the health and wellness of young people in Long Beach. We'll talk to Jennifer Hang, a community organizer for Kamai Girls in Action, about the plan and what it means for young people in the city. But before that, some bad news for smokers of flavored tobacco. The city council this week voted to make its temporary ban on the sale of flavored tobacco permanent. City staff cited negative health effects, lack of regulation on flavored tobacco products, and an increase in e-cigarette use by minors as the main reasons behind the ban. Kelly Cloppy, the city's director of Health and Human Services, presented evidence on the damaging effects tobacco can have on the lungs and brains of young people. It's essential to take immediate action for the safety of our youth. Nationwide, youth e-cigarette usage has grown nearly 20-fold in less than 10 years, increasing from 1.5% in 2011 to 23.6%, including nearly 5% of middle school students in 2020. Nicotine has damaging effects on the developing brain, which continues to develop up until about the age of 25. It changes adolescent brain cell activity in the parts of the brain responsible for attention, learning, and memory, and can interfere with emotion and impulse control in the future. A younger person is when they start using nicotine, the more likely they are to become addicted. Now, if you recall, the council put in place a temporary ban on the sale of flavored tobacco back in December of 2019. That expired this past January, meaning sales of flavored tobacco have been allowed to lawfully resume ever since. Complicating things a bit is a broad ban on flavored tobacco passed by the state legislature last summer. The tobacco industry quickly responded to that by funding a massive signature gathering campaign to hold a referendum on the ban in 2022. Now, until the votes can be tallied, the statewide ban has been placed on ice. So how will the outcome of the referendum affect the Long Beach ban? Well, if voters reject the statewide ban, any local ban would still remain in place. On the other hand, if voters decide to ban the sale of flavored tobacco statewide, the local ban would sunset. Back at home, several retailers and industry reps called into the city council meeting during public comment to say that the ban will hurt their bottom line and that their customers will just end up going to different cities to buy flavored tobacco products. They asked council members to put the brakes on the ban until the referendum results come in in 2022. Let's take a listen to what one local convenience store owner had to say. Hi, my name is Charlie Patel. I'm also a store owner. And like uh, uh, in last six months, once we banned the flavor tobacco, all sales go to our neighbor city. And if you look at like sales data, 
like about more than 70% of people of Long Beach, they smoke like menthol cigarette. And right now, before me, they're talking about like smoking is dangerous. But how do you consider like flavor tobacco is only con- uh, dangerous, non-flavor is not dangerous for smoking. And please wait until California state decide to stop whole state like menthol ban. Then it's going to stay same customer. Otherwise, all customer drive to next, next city and they buy cigarettes from them. While some on the council sympathize with the impacts the ban could have on small business owners, they held their ground. Here's 8th District Council Member Al Austin. This permanent ban, by having a permanent ban, I think we reduce the addiction to tobacco um, for, for youth. We reduce um, the access um, for, for our youth, and we reduce, uh, hopefully have impacts in reducing actual smoking habits among youth here in the city of Long Beach. I've lost loved ones, my own mother, to lung cancer and smoking. This, this uh, smoking and the, the negative outcomes disproportionately do affect black people and communities of color. And, and so, you know, the, the moral thing to do, the right thing to do would be to, to support this permanent ban. It's important to note that the proposed ban would have exceptions for hookah, expensive cigars, and pipe tobacco and online sales of flavored tobacco would still be allowed. The vote was unanimous to move forward with the ban, and an ordinance is expected to come back to the council in a few months' time. Until then, however, flavored tobacco products are allowed back on the shelves, and even if the ordinance is eventually passed, it will likely contain a three-month grace period to allow retailers to sell off any stock they've accumulated. Meaning for now, smokers can breathe a little easier, knowing they won't have to cross city lines to get their new ports or camel crushes. The council on Tuesday also laid the groundwork to distribute nearly $29 million in state and federal grants meant to help cover rent payments for needy tenants during the pandemic. And according to Mayor Garcia, it's a pretty big deal. Let's take a listen. Just the federal allocation alone, which is $13.8 million, which I talked about um, a few weeks ago, just that allocation alone would be the largest tenant assistance program that we've ever had at the city. Uh, and so that was significant. And then, of course, the state came in and added uh, and more than doubled that allocation. And so what we're looking at in front of us is um, by far uh, the single largest opportunity to help tenants uh, with, um, particularly during this, this, this pandemic with, with COVID and, and, and rents uh, that we've ever had as a city. The council decided to create a homegrown program to give out the funds instead of ceding some or all administrative control over the program to the state, saying that the city is in a much better position to determine the needs of its residents. Councilmember Rex Richardson said that building the bureaucracy in-house would also leave the city with a framework for a future tenant assistant program should the city choose to fund one. You're listening to KLBP 99.1, Long Beach Public Radio. After the break, we'll talk to Jennifer Hang of Kamai Girls in Action about the city's newly unveiled plan to invest in Long Beach youth. Stay tuned.
Kevin Flores, editor at Forth.org, and you're listening to City Council Meeting Notes on KLBP 99.1. Combined Girls in Action, a local organization that helps develop leadership among the city's Cambodian youth, played a pivotal role in the creation of the city's strategic plan for youth and young adults, which was unveiled this week. And here to talk to me a bit about the plan is Jennifer Hang, a community organizer with Kamai Girls in Action. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Happy good. to be here. Good, good. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what this plan encompasses and how it came about? Yes, definitely. Um, so the Youth Strategic Plan came about through the organizing and advocacy efforts of young people in Long Beach who were part of the Invest in Youth campaign, um, which started... I guess as a seed in 2017, but really became um, public in 2018. Um, we started looking at the city budget and we we're analyzing the city budget with our young people. Um, and our research found that our city spends more on youth suppression than positive youth development. Um, and we are firm believers that a budget reflects our um, a budget reflects our values and priorities. Um, and what this suggests to young people is that they were not being prioritized or valued. And this sparked conversation amongst our team, um, and young people had this um, desire for change. And so since budgets and policies reflect the attitudes and beliefs, and, you know, attitudes and beliefs also affects budgets and policies, we don't see young people of color and the neighborhoods in which our youth leaders live reflected in the city's budget. Um, and if they're not reflected in policies, they're practically a race and their experiences are a race. So there's a problem there. Um, we want to make sure after, you know, working with young people over 20 years now that youth are impacted by policies that directly affect their lives and families, but they often don't get the platform to um, shape policies and budgets on a city level at least. Um, but they have great solutions and they're great problem solvers. And this is an opportunity to bring them to the table and create space for them to lead. Um, so this plan is one of the first, I believe, comprehensive plan of this scope that goes into proposals and timelines and details. Um, and I think one important part of this, one of the most important parts of this plan is really expanding the spectrum of what we think about when we're talking about young people. It's often focused on early childhood development or young people in their teens, but we have um, worked with um, members that have graduated out of high school and have come back as alumni of our organization to continue being active and supporting their community. And so we wanted to extend this to cover young people ages 18 to 24, and that, um, or sorry, eight to 24. Um, well, that works too. Um, and 18 to 24 is what we call transitional age youth. And this is a time where young people are obviously transitioning into adulthood. This is a time where the society expects them to have everything figured out. But we know that this is also the time they need the most support. You know, they're navigating um, higher education on their own. They're moving out probably. They're finding jobs. Um, and so they definitely need support from the city as well on this. And so the plan identifies a variety of challenges that young people in Long Beach face, uh, especially young people of color. Can you talk about what some of those challenges are? Yeah, so um, these goals highlighted in the plan came from overarching themes collected from our data last year that we conducted with the community and young people. They outline the systems that can be a barrier for young people to access resources and stability. Youth have brought an economic gender and racial lens to view these systems and in doing so listed 
solutions to make a healthier life more accessible no matter where you live or what your circumstances are. So some of the areas youth wanted to focus on includes equitable housing, access to transportation, access to mental health, redefining public safety and practicing um, what they call community care. Overall, it's just a more comprehensive approach to positive youth development. Um, specifically with the context of the pandemic, we know that low-income neighborhoods and people of color are disproportionately impacted, and this pandemic has exposed structural inequities that showed us the urgency and the importance of this work. And we know that this pandemic um, shows that we're all interconnected. Um, when we see how systemic racism impacts our particular population or neighborhood in our city, we know that that's a threat to our public health and that our plan to move forward and recovering means that we all have to have our basic needs met in order to have a strong, healthy whole um, city. And so whether it's um, systemic racism impacts uh, housing or whether it impacts healthcare, we all know that we have to address all these areas because this all slows down recovery, right? So. And according to the plan, 86% of young people in the city are youth of color, and a majority of them live in the western part of the city, uh, many in neighborhoods that are historically underserved. What does that say about how the city needs to shift its funding priorities? This is definitely a question about equity. Um, we know that a lot of our um, youth of color also live in Central, West, and North Long Beach. And we know, we know that before even the pandemic happened, close to 30% of our city's youth population, ages 19 and under, were already living in poverty. And we know that a majority of our districts, one, two, four, six, eight, and nine, hold 90% of youth poverty in our city. And so this question about equity and the redistribution of funding and resources is really important, especially in this context. Um, given that this plan is youth-led, from all nine districts um, of young people who participated. This shows that when you involve youth and community groups that have worked to empower those in the community, we can actually have something that's meaningful. Um, in the end, it's a step forward, and city council was in the right step in approving and supporting this plan this past Tuesday. And this is a call to action, right? Um, the plan is called Toward a New Generation of Hope. So things can no longer stay the same when systems have failed young people and their families and communities. Um, so in the end, we wanted to create a process that's more inclusive um, and truly centered on community care and co-governance. Um, I think some folks might say this plan may be ambitious, but I think the framing of this plan is intentional. It's aspirational and it's hopeful, which I think is what young people definitely need, if not, all, if not what we all need right now. Did the, did the Long Beach Unified School District have any input in this plan? And can you talk a little bit about what role schools play? Yeah, um, I don't have any specifics of what um, certain um, folks from the district have shared. But um, I do know that there's, at the end, there's acknowledgments of a bunch of groups and people who have supported um, this plan and helped shape it. Um, but definitely, I think, Initially, when we started this plan, um, you know, KJ has had some experience working on campus before doing some um, work with the district, but we also realized that the L LBUSD is only one space where young people occupy. They also are our neighbors. They live in the community with us. And so we really wanted to think about how the school and um, LBUSD and our city can have a stronger partnership in coordinating um, how to best support young people both on and off campus. And so we hope that um, OBUSD and uh, the city of Long Beach has a larger role in 
being accountable to young people um, and making sure that um, they're being supported. And now there's been um, a lot of talk recently about public safety due to an increase in violent crime during the pandemic. And it's times like this that resources tend to get shifted toward the police. And at the same time, this plan was developed in the wake of the George Floyd protests. So seeing as youth, are, youth of color are disproportionately both the victims of violent crime and police brutality, what attitudes do young people in the city have about public safety and how does this plan reflect that? Yes, this is um, very timely. I mean, when we um, did our initial survey as an Investing Youth campaign, we surveyed the community and we learned from the community that 80% believe the best way to make our community safer is to invest in community-based youth development programs. There was only 18% that actually wanted to see increased police presence in our neighborhoods and schools. And so even thinking statistically of how um, in District 6, 7, and 9, which is predominantly Black, Indigenous, youth of color, those districts are heavily policed neighborhoods, which also lead to more fear, paranoia, mistrust, um, depression, and just like this feeling of surveillance. Um, and so I am a product of positive youth development. Um, I was a youth organizer with My Girls in Action when I was in high school, and now I'm returning back as a staff. And so I understand firsthand the experiences of, of what young people um, in my community are feeling. Um, and my hope is to support intergenerational healing by supporting the leadership of the next generation. And just thinking, I just want to bring some light to some context of the Southeast Asian community, specifically Cambodian community in Long Beach. You know, as children of refugees, we came into a system that has a history of harming black communities, incarcerated young black and brown youth at high rates. And when the 1.5 refugee generation came and resettled here, they got pulled into that cycle too. We were vulnerable, we were criminalized for being poor, and our families have not even settled here for even 45 years, right? But what we've learned is that this all points to a bigger collective problem, and it's a call for a collective solution to address root causes, right? Um, and that includes young people to be part of that. This is one way we can address that harm to make sure that young people of today don't have to go through that pain again. Um, it's a step away from that era of over-policing um, black and brown bodies. Um, essentially, we, we hope that we're able to integrate solutions from communities whose very lives and futures have been systemically disrupted by policing, poverty, and racism. And, and looking forward, what are, what are the next steps um, for this plan, and will youth continue to be involved um, in its implementation? Yes, absolutely. That was one of our major asks and also um, young people's um, need to be involved the whole way through and to see this through. Um, we're really grateful with the passing of Measure Us um, this past election um, and also CARES Act um, dollars um, being um, brought into the community. We're able to do some early implementation. So we're definitely going to be working on getting the Office of Youth Development up and running. Um, definitely engaging youth in the process of co-governance and what we what we mean by that is making sure they have a role in like oversight and decision making and it's not just um, you know <laughs> what we've seen happen in the past and definitely part of implementation um, definitely going to work with them to figure what that looks like 
Um, in the meantime, we want to definitely invite community members, caring adult allies, and young people to help organize and advocate with us to help ensure our city establishes the first ever Long Beach Children and Youth Fund. This is something young people have wanted for years, and we want a youth fund so that there's dedicated funding, there's infrastructure, and that is protected from any future budget cuts. Because as we all know, we learn when budget cuts happen, young people are the most vulnerable, and they're the ones that have programs cut, services, and resources cut. And so we just want to build enough support to establish more infrastructure and help fund this vision of this plan. Uh, young people and, and their allies um, who'd like to get involved in this process, um, where, where could they go to, to get involved? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think for now we do have um, a lot of social medias. Um, we have, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, it's at KJ Long Beach or it's KJLB. Uh, we also have an um, Investing Youth uh, website as well called investingyouthlb.org. Um, so that those are areas folks can start and get involved in. We'll continue to update that um, and outreach to folks to volunteer. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Kevin. And that's all the time we have this week, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, the City Council will be discussing the demolition of the old City Hall building, as well as converting a hotel in the Washington neighborhood into housing for people experiencing homelessness. Don't forget the City Council meets the first three Tuesdays of the month, and you can follow along with our live coverage of each meeting on Twitter at LBC Meeting Notes. You can catch this program at 11 a.m. every Thursday and Sunday on KLBP 99.1. You can also listen on demand at klbp.org or forth.org. That's F-O-R-T-H-E dot org. Theme music by my colleague Esther Kang. My name is Kevin Flores, editor at forth.org. Take care. Who knows if true